how many of you, if you wear glasses, can remember the day you got glasses? Yeah, like it was, an, it was a life-changing day for me. I was 12 years old, and I, I had gone to the eye doctor, and, and, and this was in the olden days. About a month later, through the mail came my glasses from my eye doctor. Now you can get them in like 37 minutes or order them online or whatever. I went to an actual place. person actually looked at my eyes, did all that. So I got my glasses, and I remember putting them on. I can remember exactly where I was standing in my house. I put them on, and I could see across the room a fly crawling on the front of the cabinet. And I was like, what? People see like this all the time? Like, I, I had no idea. I was going through life thinking that's how you saw, which was not very good. Like, right here, I read a lot of books, maybe because that's all I could see. I don't know. But here I was at 12 years old, and all of a sudden, a whole new world opened up for me. And then I discovered that a little while later that I was color deficient or color blind. Not stupid, just colorblind. I know some of you are looking at me like, so that would explain why a lot of the time I dress with something black and something I know goes with black. So my shirts are often black or gray. Sometimes I'll really stretch it out and do blue because I know that they all go together. I, nothing in my wardrobe can't be mixed and matched. It's not just because I'm a normal, incompetent uh, guy in that way. It's actually have a disability. If you ever go to one of those at an eye doctor, they have these little dots. And if you can see correctly, you will see certain things. Or if you can see really incredibly like me, you see different things that nobody else sees. And you're like, there's a seven there. And my kids are looking at me like, a seven? Yeah, there's a seven there. I see a seven. No, I don't see that, Dad. And there's something wrong with you. Because your vision, depending on what you see, determines what you do. My daughter, Alexandra, when she was maybe two or three years old, I noticed that there would be a little curb or something like that, and she would work up her courage to step off it. You could see her just like, and then she would like, and step off. And we we're like, there's something wrong here. So we took her to the eye doctor, and they're like, she is like kind of, she can't, this eye is not seeing good. She, it's looking over there. And the other one is hardly can see more than right here. And so when we put a patch on one eye and glasses on the other side, suddenly she was like, oh, that's not 33 feet away. It's like three inches because her perspective was off. And so it caused her to be fearful and tentative, even though in reality, it was only a few inches. She saw it much worse than that. Your perspective determines what you do. A number of years ago, uh, my uh, wife, Shanda, her grandmother, we lived on Vancouver Island, and Grandma lived uh, in uh, Nanaimo. And we would often go down there and visit. Grandma had this little white car. And every time that we were there, I noticed that there seemed to be a fresh dent in it. So I'd ask her, what happened? How'd you get that dent? She'd be like, oh, somebody ran into me or this and that. And I was like, I said to Shanda, I think there's something wrong here. So Shanda was kind of helping her with her, her medical care and different things and took her to the eye doctor. So grandma was about 80 at that time, still driving around, doing great. And the eye doctor calls Shanda in at the end of the appointment and says, this lady, with grandma out of the room, she can't see the big E <laughs> on the thing. The big E, the one that's like this big. She was like... I th 
I would have, like, and now she could have faked it or something like that. But suddenly, what was wrong with her car became apparent as to why it was happening. Her perspective was a little off. I'm not sure if I'm two feet from that car or 200 feet from the car. Backing out just the Braille method. <laughs> Everywhere like that. So there was always something happening to her in her car because her perspective was off. Because what you see will affect what you do and how you do it. And we know that's true literally, but also experientially. Things that are done to us and for us affect what we see. If you ever buy a new vehicle, there's a term for what happens. You see that vehicle everywhere. You bought that vehicle, and then suddenly you see that vehicle everywhere. You got a Dodge, and suddenly you see um, all the Dodges everywhere, just like your vehicle. And you're like, were they always there? They were always there. You didn't suddenly get new eyes for Dodges. Suddenly, it's a term called salience. You became aware of what was always there. You can also experience when things shift how you feel. If you're in a line at your favorite coffee shop and somebody buys you coffee in front anonymously and you go up to pay and they're like, that guy over there paid for it. What happens inside you? You feel a little happy. You feel a little joyful. Unless it was a Tim Hortons coffee, then you're like, ah. <laughs> Just kidding, okay. Just making sure we're all here. <laughs> we'll pray for you. Uh, but what someone does, and so it affects how, what happens to you affects your perception of your life. And that happens in those ways, like cars and coffee and all those kind of things. It also happens in other ways. Things that happen to us begin to affect the way we look at life and the way our perception of the world around us. The world may or may not be different, but our perception of it is changed by what happens to us. If you've grown up your family, uh, in a family, your family background will affect how you look at life. If you're not sure of that, when you get married, you will find out how wrong every other family is. That's what I got married and I found all the wrong ways to do family, the way Shanda's family did it. That's what I discovered. No, well, I had one perception of how to do things. Sometimes when we've been abused, it affects our perception of how life goes. Sometimes when we've had financial issues where we've gone through maybe some real challenges in that area or uh, maybe we've gone even bankrupt, it affects how you move. Maybe you've been rejected when you were young and you felt bullied and, and marginalized. It affects your relationships later on. Your relationships in different ways, things that happen to you begin to affect how you look at life. Some of us have got a difficult prognosis from the doctor and suddenly the way you look at life changes or you've been uh, going through a sickness for a long, long time and you notice that your perception of life is getting maybe a little bit narrower, a little bit uh, more discouraged or maybe you've been through an, a, an affair where someone cheated on you and now it affects the way you look at every other relationship. All kinds of things that we've gone through in life what we experience in life begins to affect our perception of life. And then it, when we, our perception is off, we live off. We live at less than. Maybe instead of being a person of faith, we walk a little bit more fearful, a little more cautiously than we once did or maybe than we hoped we would. Or our trigger for anger is really, really quick. Or maybe because you have had an experience of 
getting approval by what you did. Now suddenly you struggle with perfectionism. Or maybe your thing is that you get a little cynical about life and people's motives and you're always distrusting people. Or because you've been offended and hurt, you expect everybody to offend you and hurt you. All kinds of things put people at a distance. And psychologists tell us that up to 85% of our thought life is negative. It's stuff that we fight through every day. And how I want to show you a principle today that literally, though, can help change your life. I actually believe that. I've experienced it. It's a Bible principle that can change your life if you put it into practice. How do you get through what you've gone through or what you're going through? Not just get through surviving, but get through winning on the other side. Acts 16 is where we're going to go here in a moment, but uh, this chapter in Acts is a wonderful chapter. It uh, starts out, <clears throat> Paul and his friend Silas are going out to encourage a bunch of churches that they have planted all over uh, in a region. And they're there and going from church to church, and it says the churches are healthy and they're growing. Everything is good. And so Paul decides he wants to go into a new area, and he tries to go into a new area towards uh, more in, inland, into what's called Asia at that time. And it says that the Holy Spirit stopped him. So he says, okay, I don't know how that happened, whether he had a vision, a dream, or, or just uh, circumstances. We're not told how, but he couldn't go that way. So he tried to go to another way, and again, the Holy Spirit stopped him. And so he, he stopped there, and, and suddenly he, he had a vision in the night where a man, it says, a man from Macedonia, this is all it says, says, come over and help us. So Paul concluded that they were to go from where they were in a city called Troas to a new city or a new region in Macedonia. And so he took that place, and actually it was the first record of the message of Jesus going into what is now Europe. At that time, it had been confined into the Middle East, and in that moment, God was expanding from where they were and what Paul experienced at that point into a new space and a new place that had never been to before. And just as a side note, sometimes when God says something, says no to you, it's because he has something better for you. And so Paul might have been discouraged or, or upset that God said, no, I don't want you to go here, or no, I don't want you to go there. Or you might be upset sometimes when God says, no, not her, or not him, or not that job, or whatever it might be. And we could get in ourselves in a spot where we miss out on what God wants, has given his yes to. Because when he says no to something, it's always for your good, and it's always for your best. And so when he says no, it's because he's got a better yes on the other side. So that's for free. Uh, and Anyway, so he goes over to this place called Macedonia. He meets some people. One of them, it says, a certain woman named Lydia. Lydia was a seller of purple. Purple was an unusual color in that time because you had to make every color, every dye. And it was made from the shell of a certain uh, sea, a shell of a, what do you call it, a shellfish. So they would crush them and make this color. And so she was uh, evidently a wealthy woman, a businesswoman, a woman of means. And she gave her life to Jesus, an incredible day. So this is good, Paul's saying. The churches are going good. The expansion is going good. And then a, then a little while later, there was another person that Paul met, another woman or a girl. It says a young girl, and she was uh, under the influence or trapped by a, an evil spirit. And Paul, in a moment, uh, says that spirit to go, and he sets her free. So a businesswoman and a slave girl, both in just a short amount of time, it's going good. The church is expanding. It's wonderful. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's why God called me here. Again, another side note. Notice who 
the, the ends of the spectrum. A woman that was a wealthy businesswoman on this end, a, a girl that in that time was very common, a slave girl. God loves people at all ends of the spectrum. And sometimes in our world, we have to remind ourselves that God loves people. People that are like you, people that are different than you. In fact, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's the, ne the next most important thing he said is, love your neighbor is yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor is your brown neighbor. Your neighbor is your African-American neighbor. Your neighbor is your South Asian neighbor. Your neighbor is your gay neighbor. Your neighbor is your, the per, your white neighbor. Your neighbor is a person from another nation. Your neighbor is the refugee. Your neighbor is the immigrant. God loves people. And we need to be a people, if you're a follower of Jesus, that love people regardless of their behavior, regardless of their religion, regardless of their origin. Wherever they're from, they're loved by God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a lover of people. That's it. And get this. And Jesus said this. Even if they hate you back, he said, love your enemy. Yeah, but they um, love your enemy. Love your neighbor. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, your first mandate is love God. Your second mandate is love people. That's all for free. So let's get going. So after doing this, a lot of good things are happening. They have started into something new and fresh. An influential lady gets saved. Woo, we're going to build our church, somebody with money. Oh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, somebody who's in difficult situation. God saves her. Woo, good things are happening. And then something switches. And says that the owners of that slave girl were really mad because that spirit that was in that girl, an evil spirit, gave her an ability to tell people some form of what was going to happen, like a palm reader, a soothsayer. So suddenly that spirit's out of her and she can't do anything. And they're like, we made money off of her. We're upset about this. And so they incite the crowd and suddenly bad, bad things start to happen. And here's where a good day suddenly turns bad. In verse 22, it says, a great crowd gathered and all the people joined in to come against them. The Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. After they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. Beaten up, stripped off, locked in, held back in the dark. Hey, God, I'm doing what you said and now this? I know none of you would say that. You'd be, bless God. Everything's good. Like, nothing ever bad happens to me. What had been good suddenly is bad. Another side note, bad things happening to you doesn't mean you've done something wrong, always. Sometimes the best thing that you do creates the most opposition. Every time that you are being moved forward, the enemy will always try to push you back into what you once were. Your freedom irritates those that have controlled you before. And so sometimes the greatest step or sign of movement or of your life moving forward is when opposition comes against you. So don't get discouraged in the middle of it. But in moments where everything is busting loose against you, it could easily taint your perspective. You've lost your business. You've lost your home. Your family member has 
been lost, whatever your story would be, could taint your perspective. And your disappointment with life can overwhelm the sense of destiny for your life. And you feel vulnerable, stripped naked, anxious, shamed, angry, frustrated. And our typical response is often we stop believing for great things and we, maybe we strike back at the one who hurt us. Maybe we withdraw in self-protection because we're good Christian people with resentment hiding in our heart. Maybe we internalize our pain and we just live with it. Maybe we stop moving forward and just exist, show up once in a while on a Sunday and just try and get through what life has for us or maybe get a little bit cynical. I don't know. And maybe some of the questions that would roll through our head as I've experienced before, God, where are you in the midst? of what was so good has turned so bad. God, I thought you said to do this and now this and God, have you forgotten me? But how you get through what you get, how do you get through what you've gone through or what you're going through right now? Verse 25 gives us a hint. Paul and Silas, we're going to say the words that are bold, okay, together. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of worship to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Let's see that again. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. People are listening. Thank you. Undaunted, praying. Their perspective was not poisoned by their negative position. They were not going to be held back. They responded differently. And the situation that they were in, were they just in denial? Like, let's, no. If you've been hit severely, beaten severely with rods, your back is bleeding, the pain is on, you might have had broken ribs, who knows? You're naked, you're in the dark, you're, you're locked up. They were not in denial. Yet there's, they did something a little different. They weren't quitting. They weren't angry. They weren't cynical. They believed that God could do something good out of something bad. And it was Jesus who said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what you see is not what should be. In other words, what you're experiencing is not all that there is. In other words, where you are does not have to determine where you're going to be. Feelings are real, but it doesn't mean that they are reality. You may feel a certain way. You may feel rejected. It doesn't mean you are rejected. You may feel like you're alone. It doesn't mean that you're alone. You may feel like nobody cares. It doesn't mean that nobody cares. You may feel that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. And you need to begin to discern what is a feeling and what is a fact. Your feelings point to something out of order. It doesn't mean that anything is wrong. It just means sometimes that your perspective is wrong and God is working in that and God is shaping you to not be led by our feelings, but to be led by faith by God. A principle that can affect every area of your life. You may feel insecure. doesn't mean that God has, doesn't got you. Because when you shift your perspective, God will begin to shift your position. How do Paul and Silas do this? It's really simple. Prayer of exchange. And that, this is different. It's not just prayer of asking for something. It's actually the word is, carries this meaning of an exchange. I give you this, you give me that. I don't know if you saw this a number of years ago. I think it's about 2008. Uh, there was this little contest. Start with a paperclip. And you exchange that and see what you can get. 
And in, in Canada, I think it was in the East Coast, they started with a paperclip, and in 14 exchanges, a paperclip for, I don't know, a loaf of bread, a loaf of bread for, and so on. After 14 exchanges, they had a house. For real. You can look it up. In Canada. Started with a paperclip, and they began, began to exchange things that somebody, they had what somebody else wanted, and so on and so forth. And sometimes, that's what prayer is meant to be. I'm giving you what I have, God, because I don't want it. It's not helpful for me. It says to exchange your ideas for his ideas, to exchange your perspective for his perspective, to change the way you're looking at something, not just simply by I can't think that way, but to say, God, I give you this, and I need that back. I need something greater, something more than, and so you begin to move from, I give you my negativity, and I get back a positive perspective. I give you my hurt, and I get back your healing. I give you my pain, and I get back I'm going to show you how this works in one verse here in Philippians chapter uh, 4, 6 and 7. Here's how the great exchange happens. Don't worry about anything. And that's where some of us thought, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I know I shouldn't worry, I know I shouldn't worry, I know I shouldn't worry. But instead, get on the exchange program. Exchange, here's what it is. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. That's how you begin to. Then what happens? You will experience God's peace. You had worry, and then at the end, you've exchanged it for peace. Don't worry about anything. Instead, somebody, somebody help me. Instead what? Pray about everything. And then tell God what you need. And then be thankful for what he's done. And then the great exchange. Peace. That is beyond your understanding. But most of us stay here and worry and worry and worry. Don't know how to get out of the worry um, rocking chair, which is a whole lot of movement, but not a lot of direction. And we just sit there and we rock in it and we rock in it and we rock in it. When we say, hey, instead of staying there, I'm going to get on the exchange program. And where I have worry, instead I'm going to, come on, somebody help me pray about everything, and then I'm going to tell God what I need, and then what's going to happen? Thank him for what he's done, <laughs> and then you will experience God's peace, which is more than you can understand. That's how the exchange program works. If you want to shift your perspective, have to be part of praying the exchange program, be worry, the prayer of exchange, anxiety for settledness, addiction for wholeness, sin for grace, Failure for victory, hurt for healing, apathy for purpose, arrogance for humility, bitterness for forgiveness, fear for faith, death for life. The great exchange. What's the cost? Grace upon grace. Mercy. His mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He, he, while I was a sinner, he died for me. Oh, he's a, a, abounding in mercy. He's overwhelming in love. And so I come and I say, God, this is what I got to give. It's not much. What is it? It's worry. What do you got to give back? Peace. That's a great exchange. I don't know what, I don't know this whole Christian thing. It's so hard and everything. Come on. Give what you have, which is not much usually, and God gives what back more than you can think or imagine, exceeding anything you can understand. Because when you shift your perspective, God will begin to shift your position. All right, we're going to move on. It says that, and then they praised. 
Now, often, most often in the Bible, praise is twofold. It's a praise in appreciation, and it's praise in anticipation. Praise in appreciation, praise in anticipation. And some people are like, well, I'm not really a big praiser. I'm kind of a quiet person. Okay? I kind of believe that. But all of us have a button. Now, for me, most of me, this is sad, Craig. This is happy, Craig. This is ecstatic, Craig. Drives my wife crazy. But the one place that I make a sacrifice of praise is in worship. Because you know what? I've seen, I've been to... I've been to the, watch the Seahawks in a preseason game, sat way up there, and 80,000 people or whatever are like, rah, like crazy people shouting and jumping, and actually so much so that it registers on the Richter scale that there's a seismic event happening because of the praise of people. And you would see those people normally, they might be in a suit in an office, hello there, sir, hi there. How are you? Good. But you get them in the right environment about something they're passionate about, and suddenly things begin to shift in their personality. Well, it's not my personality. Obviously not at the office, like running around, ah! People are like, bro, settle down. But there are places where it's always appropriate to praise. And the praise of the Bible is actually very, very clear in Psalm 52 and 9. It says, for what you've done, I will always praise you. That's appreciation. And I will hope in you. That's anticipation. Why? Why is praise important? Well, first of all, it's God's command. It says in Psalm 50, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So somebody breathe in right now. That's you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then it goes on. Whatever God asks us to do is because it's good for us in ways we don't understand. Yeah, well, well, I don't really understand it. So what? I don't understand how electricity always works, but somehow a light comes up. We don't have to understand everything, but I'm going to show you in a little bit despite that. Scripture says this, that more than just those that have breath, it commands creation. Psalm 148 says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heaven. It says praise, praise. Creation, praise your creator. In an article titled, The Black Hole Strikes the Deepest Musical Note Ever, we read this. Astronomers have detected the deepest note ever generated in the cosmos, which is a B-flat flying through space like a ripple on a pond, No human can hear the note, although we have instruments that can detect it, because it is 57 octaves below the middle of the keyboard right here on this piano. 57 octaves, so like somewhere on the field out there. We can't hear it, but deep out of space, a black hole is praising God. Probably sounds better than that. Every soul flare or solar flare shoots out and strikes the sun's corona like the string of a guitar, creating a tone that reverberates through the universe. The sun is singing. Stars are singing. One amazing example from nature can about how creation song changes the atmosphere is what a botanist called the sonic bloom. Not boom, bloom. I got to read this because I got to make sure I get it right. God gave the birds a song to sing. Several songs, a mating song, a gathering call, a wake-up call. Anyone who's lived on a farm, uh, the rooster will let you know when the sun comes up or when they're just irritated. In Africa, I've been there, and I'm like, you guys, there is no sun. 
Like, shut up. I don't know what. They're like guard roosters or something. Somebody's walking. Ah! <laughs> I don't know why I do stuff like that. I'm sorry. Okay. One, one of the things birds do, though, is sing what is being called the song of the morning, call, causing sonic bloom. Get this. A few moments before the sun tips over the horizon at sunrise, the birds start and welcoming the sun. This early morning bird chirping triggers the opening of the plant's stomata, which is, well, this moment you're like, why are we doing science class? It's good. What that means is there's little mouth-like pores on the leaf to suck up the morning dew. And as the bird sings, those pores open up. On every leaf, there are thousands of such small openings. Each stoma, less than one one-thousandth of an inch across, allows oxygen and water to pass out of the leaf, while other gases, notably carbon dioxide, move in to be transformed by photosynthesis into sugars that feed the tree. So the song of the bird stimulates life in the environment around them. Think about this, though. When that bird breathes, or when that tree, the, the bird sings, the tree opens up, oxygen goes. Who needs oxygen? You. And it takes in what is toxic to you, carbon dioxide, and transforms it into the life for the tree. Yeah, but things just happened. Things did not just happen. The song that's in, in, embedded in creation gives literally life to you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. But there's more. Quantum physicists, which I am not one, I rely on research, have found that at the subatomic level or the quantum level, I feel like I'm in Star Trek right now, beep, all mass is materialized out of phenomenally small waves of vibrating energy. These small vibrating strings of energy are the building blocks of protons, neutrons, and electrons, the stuff that atoms are made of, the stuff that everything's made of. Now get this, they're vibrating. Their frequency determines what they become. That's at the scientific level. Their frequency, according to the song that they sing, determines what they become. They still can't figure out what causes them to vibrate. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All of creation sings out your praise. Creation, creation. Embedded praise is embedded into creation. Sound changes things. Praise changes things. We say it's something around here. Psalm 23, 22 and 3 says that God inhabits or dwells in our praises. There is a, uh, this idea that God literally, when we praise, something shifts. It doesn't mean that God's not there. But when we're praising, we're inviting God and saying, God, you're good, you're faithful, whatever it might be. God begins to like then rule and overrule in your situation. You're inviting him in in a significant way that's beyond your understanding, that's beyond your ability. It's, it, it changes everything. This, and it says this in 1 Samuel 16 and 23 where it talks about the King Saul was tormented by this distressing spirit it calls and it, he would call David in, and David would begin to sing and play his harp. And what it says is that that evil spirit would then go away. That's why you can come in here on a Sunday morning feeling, 
And as you begin to praise and as you begin to get in an atmosphere of worship, something shifts inside of you because of what God's doing as you praise. And that, that evil spirit means something that's ugly, that's gaunt, that's unhappy, that's sad. And, they, and, it, and in an atmosphere of praise, it leaves. Saul begins, it says he began to feel better, which means to enlarge. And that enlarge means like a lung. <gasps> Enlarging. In other words, he could breathe again. And sometimes we're being choked out by all kinds of things and we don't know what to do. And we begin to put on some worship music and your home is out of order and your kids are going crazy and you don't know how to move forward. You don't know how to get out of the space that you're in. And you begin to put on worship and you begin to praise and you begin to lift up a sacrifice and you begin to say, God, I need you. I welcome your presence here. And something, and all of a sudden, I can begin to breathe and something begins to shift inside of you. It's more than just psychology. It's more than, than just what's embedded in nature. It's a spiritual principle at work in that moment. Because when you begin Begin to shift your perspective, God will begin to shift your position. Not just in the one when you're here, but in your car. There was a long time when I got my first car, it had no radio in it and wind up windows. Kids, for those of you, I know you only, this means wind up a window. That's down, that's up. So if you see an old person do like that, humor them and know that they're talking about a window. Some of you have never seen one of those. It's true. But I used to sit in my car, and in a period of time in my life where I was really struggling in a lot of ways inside about working through some pain and working through some issues, sometimes I only knew how to do is sing. I had no radio on. I just sang, and you would go by me, and I was just singing, and tears rolling down my eyes as God was doing something I couldn't even understand, and putting myself in a place and letting God do what only God can do, because I can only do what I can do, but God, when he does what he does, something shifts. Everything shifts. So they praise in appreciation for what you have done. I will always praise you. Start to remind yourself of what God has done. Start to reflect on how God has been good to you. Psalm 42 says that I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and to the Mount Hermon. In other words, from the lowest part, which Jordan was in their land, it was the lowest part of the land to the mountain of Hermon, which was the highest. In other words, in every low place, you've been faithful to me. In every high place, you've taken me through. And on the journey in between, you have been good. You have been faithful. I should have been dead right now, but God has moved in my life. I I've seen God heal my life. I've seen God save my family. I've seen God transform things. I should not be where I am. And that we begin to speak out what God has done because it begins to reposition us in a way that we don't even understand. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did, and by the word of our testimony. When we remind our soul, oh, God is good. Oh, God has been faithful. I don't know what's going on, but I'm in the middle of a jail right now. It's dark outside. I, all I feel is that I'm being beaten up. But bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I'm going to remember, and I'm going to remind my heart. I'm going to remind my soul. I'm going to remind my emotions that I am not alone, that God is for me, that he has always been for me. He has been good, and I'm going to get through this. But right now, yes, it is right now, but God, but God, but God. And so I stand in this and allow God to begin to shift my perspective so that he will begin to to shift my position. Praise. In appreciation, nothing's changed, but I'm praising in anticipation. Because where I am is not where I'm going to be. Because the God who did it before is going to do it again. And so I, I begin to pray out, I will hope in you. And, I, and look at, it says, in the middle of the night, they began to sing. 
You know why? I, I, there's always phrases you need to pay attention in your Bible. Why they're there? It didn't just say they began. It says in the midnight hour or in the middle of the night. In other words, it was dark out. They were already in the middle of it all. And that's the time when things are the darkest that you begin to praise the most intentionally in your life. There have been seasons in my life where I was under, under the circumstances. If someone asks you, oh, I'm doing well under the circumstances, we're not supposed to be under the circumstances. But in the middle of an impossible situation, in the midst of other failure, when I had to reach out and say, God, help me. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. I don't know what my future is going to look like. I don't have a job right now. I don't know what my future, will I ever be what you've called me to be? And I began to just say, God, I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that though I'm in this situation right now, you have been faithful before, you're going to be faithful again. And when you're locked up, you begin to praise, greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. When you're beaten down, you begin to praise, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. When you're bleeding, you begin to praise, though I walk through trouble, he will revive me. When I can see, all I can see is darkness, you begin to praise, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. When all hope looks lost, you begin to praise, he who began a good work in me, will be faithful to complete it in me. When I feel confused and alone, I begin to praise. I know the plans that you have for me, uh, Lord, that you have got a future for me, that you have a hope for me. And when I begin to shift my perspective, God will begin to shift your position. The shift happens, but you have to shift your perspective. I'm going to pray the great exchange. I'm going to praise in appreciation. I'm going to praise in anticipation. And look what happens suddenly. Verse 26. Suddenly, a great earthquake shook. Every bold word, we're going to say it, okay? A great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once, every prison door flung open. Let's try that again. All at once, every prison door flung open, and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. The setback became a comeback. They were locked up in the dark, beaten down, discouraged, I'm sure, and, and, and if you were in their situation. And three things happen. Foundations are shaken. Doors fly open. Chains fall off. Foundations are shaken. I always look at things that say, what, what, what do we see there? Foundations are the unmovable things that everything else is built on. So the prison that has imprisoned Whatever the enemy has thrown you in, God shakes the foundation of it. Not just kind of makes a little rattling, shakes the very foundation. When you shake the foundation, the building is coming down. And when you shake it, see, see, there are some immovable things in your life that, that some of us have just said, I've just got to live with it. That's, that's the way it's always been in my life. And so we say, well, I got to put up with it. I try and cope with it. But ah, things that you thought were set and never going to change are going to change. It's time to believe for the impossible. It's time to pray for the one that you think is unreachable. It's time to pray that a city can change. It's time to pray for miracles to happen. It's time to shift the position of your life, to shift the position of a church, to shift the position of a city, to shift the position of a nation, to shift the position of a world. We're not doing this to be as one's beating in the air. We're not in worship and praise and, and being that kind of a person just to make our life better. But God is literally shaking the foundations of everything that has been erected to hold you back, that God would do that as you begin to change 
change your perspective. God begins to change your position, and he begins to open up doors. And to me, that science, open up doors means that opportunities that were once closed to you, when God begins to open a door, nobody can shut it. Then God begins to promote you. Nobody can stop you. When God begins to move you, nobody can get in your way. When God begins to say, dream again, God begins to say, believe again. God begins to say, hey, this is possible. I, he who began it is going to complete it in you. And so your position begins to shift, and suddenly the door is open for you, and you begin to walk into the next phase of what God has for your life. The prison is not what you're intended for. Your purpose is outside of the prison. You may be in it right now, but you are coming out by, as you begin to change your perspective, God will begin to shift your position. So the foundations get shaken, doors go open, chains fall off. Chains of mindsets, chains of understandings that have locked you up, that have hindered you. God, when you begin to shift your perspective, God will begin to shift your position. Anxiety falling off that's hindered you. Discouragement falling off. Chains falling off that you're not even aware of that are holding you back. Now, let me be clear on something. When Paul and Silas were in the prison, that was not the first time that they praised. Yeah, if, that's, if you're in a prison and that's the first time you've been in one, you begin to praise, do it. But before they ever got there, when they were walking through here, they learned that the posture of their life was, we praise. In everything, give thanks. In every season, I praise. In every situation, I bless the Lord. In every, so that when I get through, there's nothing that changes. My situation changes, but my perspective will not be determined by my prison. My prison will be determined and broken out of by my new perspective, which is that God is good. My God is for me. He's making a way where there seems to be no way. He makes pathways where people are not even aware of. He breaks me out of situations that I've been kept in for a long, long time and I just begin to have the posture of my life. The one moment here feeds every moment in my life. So when my kids are going crazy, I don't know what to do. Ah, I'm going to exchange my anxiety and my frustration, first of all, and then I'm going to be thanking God for what he's done, and I'm going to be thanking him for what he's about to do. In our home, regularly on Sunday morning, when, I, when our kids would be up and when things would be a crazy, we have worship music going on. You could have country music going on, and you'd probably be depressed. Like, you could have rap music on, and you probably got to, like, get saved again because of... Not the music, but some of the language. Come on, people. Like, you need to be aware of what's feeding your spirit. And so it doesn't mean you just have to have, like, uh, you know, how great thou art and uh, all that. You just need to have something of God that's feeding your spirit. Because literally, you will open up like the leaves of a tree and breathe in life that your spirit man needs. Because you're not living from the outside in. You're living from the inside out. And so the situation you're in does not have to determine the future of your life. Change your perspective and God begins to change your position. And the final kicker of all of this to me is that the effect goes far beyond you. When they got free, suddenly the opportunity for other people around them to get free was there. All the other prisoners were like listening. First of all, are those guys crazy because they're singing? They just got the beat down on them. And then, like, after they're singing, suddenly, everything shakes. It's just a moment, too. Suddenly means unexpectedly. I think it's unexpected to us, but never unexpected to God. We don't know when your suddenly will happen, but until it does, I begin to sing. I begin to praise. 
I begin to pray and say, God, thank you that you're moving. Thank you. And then God in his timing, in his perfect timing, we don't know if it was 10 minutes of praise. We don't know if it was two hours of it. But the position of their life was being altered because of the perspective that was being shaped right there. And as the worship team comes, not only were the prisoners around having the opportunity to get set free, look at the jailer who locked him up, the unlikeliest of people, was coming free. And, they, and he says, what must I do to be saved? In other words, how do I have a life like yours that in the middle of crazy stuff going on, you sing and God moves on your behalf? How, 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 do, how, do, I, how do I have that kind of a life? But mo many of us, though, don't have that kind of a life. We have a life in here and we just like live with it. But if we can begin to change our perspective, the world around us sees what God can do. Then in the middle of pain, you're able to say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, who daily loads me with benefits, who surrounds me with loving kindness, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And there, people are listening to the song that comes out of your heart. And the people around you don't want to see somebody walking through the same situation that they are the same way. But when people see you walking through with a different attitude, with a different perspective, with a different uh, declaration out of your mouth, suddenly they say, I want what you have. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life. And you say, I want that Jesus. I need that Jesus. Can I invite you to stand to your feet, everyone, and we're going to close out. Just every head bowed and every eye closed just to give privacy to the people around you. God is not just something that you meet at church or someone that you meet at church. He's in all the other 167 hours of your life. There's 168 hours in a week. He's not just here, but he's everywhere. And when we change our perspective, he can change our position. And some of us only have the perspective of Jesus as a good teacher or a kind man with some good moral principles, but he's that and much, much more. The Bible's very clear that he's the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. He's the savior of your world. He's the savior of you. And Jesus is the hope to change and bring us out of our prison, bring us out of our place into the future that he intends for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed and it's nothing spooky about it. We're not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. Just if I can pray for you and you say, Pastor, I need to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of my life. Just pop your hand up and we want to pray with you. And I'm going to start on my left, your right. Right here in the middle, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to pray with me. And if you pray this in your, in your heart, Bible says, like that jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In other words, trust him with your life. Give your life to him. So Lord Jesus, I'm going to pray that after me, everyone, all together. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I need you. Forgive my sin. I invite you to lead my life. And come and 
come in. I give my life to you. And if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you've passed from death to life, from a prison to a, to a, a place of locked up, to a place of, of full acceptance as a son or a daughter of God. Secondly, if you're in a place where you, you feel like you're in the middle of it all right now and you're maybe you have lost your perspective a little bit and you're saying, Pastor, will you pray with me as I'm in the middle of it right now and I just need to see God move in a, in a significant way in my life. Just throw your hand up right now. Saying, God, I need you. Yeah, yeah. All over the room. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every hand that's up, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that our perspective is being shaped so that our position can be changed. Father, that you have not forgotten, you have not abandoned, you have not discarded, Lord. But Lord, thank you that you're turning our hearts towards you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, as we change our perspective, Lord, as we become people who do the great exchange, as we become people who look back and appreciation for what you've done and look ahead in anticipation of what you will do in our life, Lord Jesus. That six months from now, we our lives will look different. One year from now, we'll look back and say, God, I can't even hardly recognize myself with what you've done in my life. Surrender afresh to you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.